Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. In week two of the fast today, and uh, I don't want to get, uh, I'll, I'll say this even though I said it last week, and I don't, I'm not saying that this is a clearly not a rule. It doesn't work this way for everybody, and it's not always this way. Uh, I have found, though, for me, when we do these three-week fasts, Daniel fast, partial fast, whatever you want to call them, week two uh, is often the most satisfying week for me because we're just kind of in it at that point. We've kind of gotten over, perhaps, hopefully, prayerfully, the most difficult period of adjustment you know, it's boy, it's it's so hard to get that first couple days under your belt if you're uh, if you're taking this seriously. Uh, and then, uh, as I've said, when you get into week three, especially toward the end of week three, then you're kind of your eyes are on the prize. Ooh, three more days, and I can I can have ice cream, I can have chocolate, I can have you know meat, whatever it is that you're fasting. Uh, but during that second week, you're just kind of in it, and so you can really just focus more. I, I can, anyway, focus more intently on really the purpose of, what, uh, of this. Uh, pressing into God, hearing from him, getting direction for yourself, for your family, and, ha- and having him direct you uh, to be a part of what he is calling us to do as a church. And uh, the theme we've given it this year is a, is a year of giving. I believe that this is the theme that the Lord has given us. But I remind you that this is not the year that we give any more than last year is the year that we pray. These are things that should be part of what we're doing as believers because we're believers, not because it's a particular year. We're just focusing on certain things uh, from year to year just to kind of give us uh, maybe a, some, uh, some emphasis that, that is particularly needed at a, at a particular time. And uh, hopefully these are habits that we carry in to the future. But we'll, uh, we'll spend this week and next week uh, talking about giving and a little bit about the fast, and we'll talk mostly about giving today. And today, I want to answer some questions. Uh, it's not going to be an in, in-depth study, but when we talk about giving, when we talk about our financial obligation to the Lord, uh, the, the most obvious question and, and certainly the most often asked question is about the tithe. And so I want to talk about the tithe today um, and uh, we'll look at a couple of other things that I know you'll find helpful in bridging the gap, as it were, between the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning the tithe. Uh, because the most common question about this stuff is, are we still obligated to tithe or some variation of that? Is the tithe still in force in the New Testament? Or since the tithe was part of the law and we are no longer under the law, do we still have to tithe? And as I said, I encourage you to get last week's message. We covered a lot of ground, not, not super deeply, but I think we, we touched on a lot of areas uh, that some people can be pretty touchy about. Because when people ask, do we still have to tithe, just that phrasing can reveal something about the heart. Uh, Do we still have to tithe? Uh, You know, the understanding there is, or can I keep all my money, right? Uh, Or can I only give what I want to give rather than a full 10%? 
Uh, and uh, you'll be, you, you look at it, you read this stuff, we're going to look at some passages today, uh, it'll, it'll jerk that kind of thinking out of you in a very good way. First of all, when we think about tithing from the Old Testament standpoint, you need to keep in mind, and I know you know this, all right, but it's not like people were working for an hourly wage, all right? Uh, whether whether they, they were uh, talking about, uh, you know, talents or uh, denarii or any other measurement of money, uh, they weren't working for, okay, you get three of these an hour and, and for 40 hours a week. Their income was uh, mostly in the form of livestock and produce, okay? There were services, of course, as well that people were paid for, but uh, it wasn't just a weekly wage. So when they considered the tithe, it was a tithe of all of their increase, where we pretty much know, most of us, I know it varies from person to person and from time to time and season to season in your life, but you know pretty much what your paycheck is going to be, therefore you know what your tithe is going to be. And so uh, we just we can project that for the year sometimes, how much a, a tithe, what a tithe should look like on our income. Uh, but they sort of had to track that. Hey, you know, if we had this many uh, cattle born this year, this many of them belong to the Lord, Right? Uh, this many vats of olive oil were produced. This is how much of that belongs to the Lord. Um, the, uh, but it's not just the tithe that we read about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of tithes and offerings and sacrifices and other things. There are some scholars, many scholars that I've read, uh, who suggest that the Old Testament financial obligation was roughly a third of their income. Uh, certainly closer to 30% than it was to 10%. The tithe was just part of what they were commanded to give. So uh, with, uh, with the Old Testament tithe in mind, we might as well dive in and look at the, the most famous passage on tithing, uh, I think anyway, which is Malachi chapter 3. You knew we were going to go there sometime. So let's look at it now. And Malachi, keep in mind, he didn't write a book about tithing. Most of us know just this. Well, not most of us. I know we, we've got some good Bible readers in here. But a lot of people, uh, if they know anything in Malachi, they only know this part. But Malachi was a prophet. Uh, uh, and just like the other prophets, he, he has a message. He has an accusation. He has a message of, of restoration and hope. Uh, his, uh, I like his, uh, the way he... Uh, the way this book is formed, formatted, I guess, with this question and answer thing, uh, this dialogue almost that uh, God has spoken through Malachi to the people. So he's correcting them on a lot of things. Uh, and and uh, when he comes to this in Malachi chapter 3, we begin in verse 8. And this is God speaking. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may, may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, 
First thing I want to ask is when people want to argue against the tithe, well, do we still have to tithe? You know, uh, if the tithe were absolutely, inarguably, in effect as a law, this passage here would make that a very good thing. Because, man, you want a formula. That's a great formula. You bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me now in this. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing there's not room enough to contain. Would you be okay with that? Now. Man, I would too. So when people say, oh, I don't think we have to tithe anymore, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's Old Testament. Really, if you understand that passage, you say, too bad we don't get to tithe anymore. Because that was a pretty good deal, right? Find me a promise that's that, that, that's that good and that specific in the New Testament. I'll show you one later. Uh, but I want you to read on here. In verse 13, it says, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Now, this is interesting if you read that second passage in light of what we just read about the tithe. Here, the people are under a curse, God has said. And if you read this whole passage and then kind of look at it backwards, what you have is a people who are grumbling and complaining to God. Here we are, serving the one who is the one true God. We are the nation that fears him. All these other nations, we know doctrinally, we know theologically, they serve false gods. And there are those who serve no God at all. And yet we who serve the creator of the universe, it's not doing us any good. Look at these wicked people, people who are manifestly wicked, don't even acknowledge you, don't even fear you. And they seem to be doing great financially. Why aren't you taking care of us, God? So God is answering, you know, this curse that you're complaining about, that's not my will for you. There's, this stuff is there. It's stored up for you. And it's behind these windows of heaven. And you know how to unlock that? With the tithe. You're robbing me. Now, this is a question we're going to come back to here in a second. But who owns it all? God made everything, everything belongs to him, and so really we don't give him anything, do we? We're going to look at verses that talk about this specifically. He's just telling us to honor him in returning to him a tenth. Here he's, just, he's talking about the tithe. He says, and you're withholding that from me. Now remember, there were sacrifices, there were offerings, and there were gifts, there were other things. Here he's talking about the tithe. You're robbing me. You're not giving me that, that, 
tithe that is mine. You do that, start doing it again, bring the whole tithe in. The whole tithe. What's this indicate? That some of them were giving a partial tithe. When pe- it's kind of funny when people say, well, I tithe, but I only tithe 5%. Then you're not tithing. All right, A tithe means 10%. He's saying, don't, don't, don't hold on to that. That tithe is mine, so don't just bring part of it. Bring all of it. And if you do that, I'm going to, pour out on the wind, I'm going to open the windows of heaven, pour out blessing there's not room enough uh, to contain. And then he, when, he, when he calls him on this, he says, you know, you've spoken these harsh words against me. And you're calling the proud blessed. And you're, and you're misinterpreting things. And then it says here, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and heard them. And I like that. Because it doesn't show them immediately falling on their knees and crying out to God. It's God accusing them. And they look at each other and say, he's right, isn't he? And they start, I see this as, they start, they mutually confess to one another. "Uh, Yeah, are are you tithing? I'm, I'm really not either. So when Malachi is speaking this, when God is speaking this through Malachi, he's speaking to me. Yeah, he's speaking to me too. Uh, Do you still believe in God? Yeah, I still believe in God. How about we start tithing? How about we agree uh, to make this right? Yeah, I'll do that too. And they're making this agreement. They're They're conferring. They're exhorting one another. And God hears that and says, now's when I'm going to turn this for you. And you are going to have a right view of exactly who's blessed and exactly who's cursed according to my will. Then it says in verse 18, you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. You make this correction in this area and suddenly it will be manifestly clear who is blessed and who is not. All right? Now, we also see the principle of the tithe. Most of you know this. Most of you know this, but not everybody does. And I want everybody to listen carefully anyway. We see the principle of the tithe in practice long before the law, just as we see sacrifices and offerings taking place before the law. Uh, very famously, in Genesis chapter 4, and we'll begin in verse 1. This is the story of Cain and Abel. It says... Uh, in Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, there's a number of things we have to see here. Let me get through them as quickly as I can. Number one is, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, there was no law. There was nothing that had been handed down that we have any hint of in terms of a record of what they were supposed to do. The offerings, uh, the, the, the laws concerning sacrifices and offerings were far in the future, in Moses' day, okay? But there was clearly an understanding uh, that as God blessed them, in this case, Cain, with the, you know, he was a farmer with the produce, he was supposed to bring an offering of everything that God had caused to grow from the ground. 
All right? Now, uh, and, and we see with Abel as well. He tended sheep, and, it's, but, and, and when Abel brought his offering, it specifies that it was the first and of their fat. We have a very clear uh, picture of Abel bring, bringing the best of his increase. But about Cain, it simply says he brought some. Another thing that's important, when we, when we understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, uh, this, is, this is not spelled out here, but I think the, the, the pattern in Scripture makes it pretty clear. What Cain probably should have done was traded some of the fruit of his produce for a lamb from Abel so that he could bring a blood sacrifice to God as well. All right? Because uh, it says that God was displeased with Cain and his offering. But he was pleased with Abel and his offering. Abel's offering pleased God, I believe, because it was a blood sacrifice and also because it was of the firstborn and of their fat. Cain's offering displeased God uh, because it wasn't a blood offering, but also, I believe, because it was just some. Now I got, I got ten bushels here. Uh, I'll just, uh, maybe he picked through it. Now this isn't the stuff I'm going to eat, so I'll, I'll send this to God. Right? It's just going to burn up anyway. It's not like God eats apples or whatever. I don't know what his heart was, but his heart was wrong because it wasn't just his offering that displeased God. It was his heart. It was Cain himself. All right? So the, the principle that I really want to bring out is the idea of the first and the best, the first fruits. This is what God has given me. I'm going to give him the first part that comes in. I'm going to give him the best part that comes in. Now, in uh, Genesis chapter 14, now we're all the way up to Abraham. And this is, uh, Genesis 14 tells us of the War of the Kings. It's an interesting little episode uh, that includes um, Lot being kidnapped and carried away by these enemies and Abraham gathering up 300 plus servants born in his house who he had trained and they chase him down and they recover. They recover all the people, they recover all the stuff and then it says in, uh, in chapter 14 beginning in verse 18 Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine he was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. Now, the understanding there is that Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of all. But who was this guy? <laughs> I'm not going to do a teaching on Melchizedek. Uh, we might save that for when we get into Hebrews, when we get through the fast and we get back on our going through the Bible because Hebrews has some things to say about Melchizedek. But it tells us he was a priest of God's most high. I want you to understand that in our priest, the priesthood, as we understand it, the Old Testament priesthood, had not been established yet. This was still hundreds of years away now because that came with the law of Moses as well. It was the, it was the Mosaic law that spelled out the duties of the, of the tribe of Levi, of Levi and how they were, they were to uh, fulfill the duties of the priesthood and what priests did. And yet here's Melchizedek living and serving as a priest. We, know, we have no idea where he came from, uh, what sort of ordination there was. He was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. 
So somehow, uh, in his priestliness, in his priestly duties, he represented God, and Abraham tithed to him. Again, the priesthood hadn't been established by the law, but neither had the tithe. And yet, here's a priest, and here's a tithe. There was a tithing principle that was at work hundreds of years before anything uh, was, uh, t- before anything codified it uh, as law, before God did that, all right? Now, in Genesis 28, this is uh, when Jacob is taken off, and... Uh, Right before he has all of his ventures, his adventures, and meets his wife and everything, he's taking. He he says, uh, "Oh, where do we want to start here?" Genesis twenty-eight eighteen says Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city had been loose previously. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, "If God will be with me." And keep me in this way that I am going, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now this is, he's had this, uh, this is right after he's had this famous dream of the ladder or the stairway between heaven and earth. And the Lord speaks to him, tells him, reveals part at least of his plan for his life. And he realizes that God has spoken to him. And uh, I love, I love, love, love this story. And we'd have to go back a couple of years to see where we talked about this in our journey through the Bible. But I remember uh, getting excited about this because Again, they didn't have nearly as much to go on. There's still no law. There's still no written account. People knew what they knew from conversation and the, what we call the oral tradition. People knew about God. And yet here's Jacob. He's just experienced this vision. He's experienced this word from heaven. And so he says, all right, I'm going to go on on this journey. And we'll find out if God means what he says. So God, you take care of me while I'm gone, and you bring me back safely, and you'll be my God. Notice, when God identified himself to Jacob, he said, I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. And when Jacob, you can read through the next few chapters, when he's working for Laban, uh, whenever he has conversation, when he mentions God, he says, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, or the God of my fathers. He never says my God till he gets back to Bethel and realizes that God has brought him back safely, and he puts a stone there that says, God of Israel. Israel's God. Israel is Jacob. So he fulfills his vow. You did it, I'm going to do it too. He's no longer just the God of Abraham, God of Isaac. He's my God. But what has God done? He's honored him. He's blessed him. And what has Jacob promised to do? Right from the beginning. Everything, listen to this, of everything that you give me, I will give you a tenth. I love how that's there. He's not saying of everything that I earn, everything that I make, everything that I find, everything that somebody else gives me, he's recognizing from the get-go that what he gets, he gets from God. And I'm going to give a tenth to you. And doesn't that sound kind of funny to just to come out and say it like that? Hey, Dad, I'll make a deal with you. 
you give me a dollar and I'll give you a dime. But isn't that essentially what he's saying here? Isn't it a funny thing to recognize that everything that I'm giving you is just part of what you gave me? I think I've shared this before. Uh, there's a band that some of you have heard of called Sixpence None the Richer. And they got their, they got their name from a, a line in a, uh, CS, a story of C.S. Lewis. I don't even remember which one it was, but he talks about, or, or a teaching from C.S. Lewis where he writes, it's kind of like when, when we give God anything, whether it's our talents, our money, or anything, it's kind of like when a child goes up to his father and says, can I borrow X number of dollars so that I can buy you a gift? Can I borrow, he says, can I, can I borrow six pence? I would like to buy you a tie or whatever it is. And so the father gives him the money, and the child comes with the gift and gives it joyfully, and the father receives it gratefully, even though he is six pence none the richer. He has not really received anything. He has not increased in that at all. Are we making God richer by giving him 10% of what he gave us? Of course not. Is he honored and is he pleased? He absolutely is. He absolutely is. But it starts with us recognizing where it came from in the first place. Now, uh, let's move into the New Testament. In, in Matthew chapter 23, oh my goodness, this is going fast, and I really want to get to 2 Corinthians. I, 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 it's actually in my notes, if time permits, and I, uh, but I think it's going to permit. We'll, we'll race through this next part. Just because we're racing doesn't mean it's not important, Right? It's all important, so we're racing to get through as much of it as possible. Matthew, right, 23, beginning in verse 23, Jesus is speaking. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and cumin and uh, (laughs) anus, No, it's Annas. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Listen to this. You've neglected the weightier matters of the law. You've tithed. Here's what people say. The way a lot of people would read this, oh, sure, you do your tithing. But what you should be doing instead is mercy, justice, right? Faith. But what does actually Jesus really say? These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He is, in, he is reinforcing, he is affirming the tithe. All right? He's not saying, you're wasting your time with your tithe of these spices and everything else. What you should be concentrating on is faith and justice. You no, know, he's saying you should have concentrated on faith and mercy and justice without stopping the tithe. He's just saying if the tithe without these other things, if you're being faithful to tithe, that doesn't buy you out of your other responsibilities. Get that? This is, I don't know if I shared this with you before. It seems like I probably did, maybe in a, in, in a short exhortation of giving. That there's a scene, in, and I think it's the third Godfather movie, the one that's not as good as the other two, where, where here is uh, uh, Don Corleone Jr., you know, uh, What's his face? Pacino. He's an old man. And what's, he's giving like $100 million to the Catholic Church. And he's being recognized by the church for his great generosity. And the clear message in this scene is what's he doing? He's trying to buy himself out of some judgment. 
And, and in, as, as a Catholic, of course, this would, this would play very much into their theology, you know, maybe get himself out of some purgatory or whatever. But the, the whole idea is, well, since I give this much money to a good cause, it kind of cancels out a lot of the bad stuff I did. And, uh, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, yeah, don't stop tithing. But just tithing, or maybe you say, I'm not just tithing, I'm giving 30%. I'm giving 40%. And so that gives me a little slack in these other areas. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. You give attention to mercy and justice and faith, but keep tithing. Now, the response to that might be, and I get this, when Jesus was speaking, it was still under the law. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. Still under the old covenant. And so he's reaffirming the law, right? But again... What I want you to see here is it's not a matter of law, it's a matter of principle. And remember this, what did Jesus say when he delivered the Great Commission? What did he say? Make disciples of all men and teach them everything that I've taught you. So there's something to this about the tithe. But here we go again. The the, the underlying problem is we are looking hard to find out if we still have to tithe when, when we, what we ought to be seeing here is that there is a timeless principle that we need to embrace. My favorite illustration of this, and you guys have heard it many times, most of you have, so bear with me, it's a quick one. Uh, it's not an illustration, I just think it's a clear biblical point. If you're just going to go by what the law is, all right, look, when Cain murdered Abel, this was before the law that said, thou shalt not murder. And yet, Cain was guilty of murder, and he knew it, didn't he? When God said, went looking for him and asked him where his brother is, he lied about it, tried to cover it up. I don't, I don't know, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? He knew what he was. He didn't just say, and say uh, I killed him, he made me mad. Why, is there something wrong with that? There ain't no law against it. He knew better, didn't he? So the, law, the principle of thou shalt not murder predated the law by centuries. And it's still in effect, isn't it? But look at how Jesus expresses it. You've heard, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, if you hate your brother or call him a fool, you've already committed murder in your heart. You've heard, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you so much as look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart. What's Jesus doing in every case? He's raising the level of responsibility, isn't he? He's raising the bar. This isn't just a matter of you towing the line. He's pointing out you've got a heart problem. All right? You've heard, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. But I tell you, it's all God's. Give everything you have to God. Right? Now what are we going to do? If we're looking for a way out of the tithe, the only way out of the tithe is to dive straight on into the rich young ruler. Sell all and give, the, give, give, it, give what you have to the poor. So let's look at, let's don't go to, from one extreme to the other. Let's look at the principle. It's all God's, right? And we live in the age where we are to be led by the Spirit. There is so much to say about giving Uh, But I think the best thing that I can share with you and the best thing we can focus on in light of the vision of this church, live the gospel and preach the gospel, is this. In Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, just so you know, time is not going to be going to permit me to go as far as I want to today. I'm going to save. I I don't want to give short shrift to the last passage in this message, so you can relax. We're almost done. But that means you can perk up. Hey, we're almost done. Because I want you to listen to this. It's it's absolutely true, all right? But I don't think this is what Jesus is, is mainly saying here. It's absolutely true. If you want to see what's important to somebody, if you want to see where their heart is, look at what they spend their money on. Not just their money, but their time, their energy, their talents. People will invest themselves into the things that are important to them. And if somebody says, this isn't all that important to me, and yet they are still investing a lot of time and money, then we're talking about an addiction or something like that. A habit, a bad habit. But people generally make time and invest money into the things where their heart is. And so when you read Jesus' statement like that, we're talking about, this is going to tell me, this is an indicator of where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? Is it? What he says is where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Wherever you are putting your treasure, your heart is going to follow that. This is significant, people, because here in this time of fasting, when we're asking God to speak to us, I want to see, you don't have to show me your hands. You can sort of nod your head, wink at me, whatever. Uh, Because some of you are probably more spiritual than I am. I can't imagine it, but some of you, statistically, it's it's like, no. Have you ever prayed so honestly that you said something to God like, I don't want to praise you, but I want to want to praise you. Do you know what I'm talking about? And that's just one example. What I'm saying is, I know that my desires are not pleasing to you. I'm going to do these things, but I wish I wanted to do them more than I want to do them. I will, I wish, I will read my Bible, but I want to want to read my Bible. I will pray, but I want to want to pray. You want to see that heart change. For one thing, it makes it easier to do the things you want to do, right? Man, it's a lot easier to head out the door for a run if you are accustomed to running to the point where you are looking forward to that runner's high and all that other stuff. Any kind of exercise, any kind of discipline can get to be like that. And when we're looking at the things of God, we can we look at ourselves honestly and say, why didn't I want to go to church today? Why didn't I want to sing, raise my hands, everything else? Can we at least look at that and say, there's something lacking in me? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, practically everybody does. So in other words, what I want is for my heart to be in the right place. If you want your heart to be in the right place, put your treasure in the right place. Do not attempt to hold on to your treasure and then scratch your head and wonder, why isn't my heartbeat like God's heartbeat? Because your heart's going to follow where your treasure is. 
And if your treasure is going toward wealth, it's not that I don't love the church, it's not that I don't love the Lord, but my obligation is to provide for me and mine. And that's where your heart's going to be. And as far as, uh, if your heart's not going to be with God, uh, you and yours is not a bad place for it to be. I'd rather, you see, I'd rather see people providing for their family and their children, uh, and their, their household, rather than uh, throwing it away at the horse track or spending it on uh, you know, alcohol, cigarettes, porn, anything like that, okay? But the fact is we will spend and invest and, and do anything with our money that, that will, and our heart will follow that, Okay? It works both ways. I mean, where our heart is, that's what we'll continue to throw throw money at. What I'm saying is, let's just don't look at where our heart is. Let's look at where we want our heart to be and give in to that. Now, what did Jesus say? Lay up treasure in heaven. That's where your heart should be, in the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Well, I'm telling you, the way we do that is to give money into the the kingdom. And we do that by giving to our church, and we do that by giving to missionaries, and we do that by giving, period. What I'm going to look at in a little more detail, praise and worship team, you can be coming on up here. What we'll be looking at in a little more detail next week, uh, and then we'll launch into the passage I really wanted to look at, is the role of your offering at church. Is the uh, be, and, and my contention is this, and you guys can be mulling this over, praying about it while you fast, is the rough analogy, at least, when God talks about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse, we're talking about the local church. I think that is the best example of the storehouse we have for New Testament believers. Are there other things to give toward, other things to support? Absolutely. I think in the purest sense, in the best sense, it is the other things that we support as a church, as a church, where we can agree, where we can pray, and do bigger things as a church than we could do as individuals. Meanwhile, when, we, when, 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 it, when it comes offering time, and I like, the, I like the term offering much better than I like the term collection, uh, but it's still a collection. Paul talked about a collection, and this is uh, one of the things we're going to read about in this passage in Second Corinthians next week. But one of the things we want to be praying about is, uh, God, is my heart right when I give? And you can skip praying about this. If you are not giving, if you are not tithing, if you are not supporting the work of the kingdom with your finances, uh, I can save you a step. I wouldn't spend a week saying, God, is this okay? <laughs> it's not. Now, you, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm, it's not like I'm afraid God's going to tell you something different. I'm being a little bit facetious here. But if you trust me and you want to skip to the next step, uh, you can, can, you just, can you just start with, all right, look, I'm not given, and I know I should be. So God, maybe you start with here. God, I'll be honest with you. I want to want to give. Or maybe it's even I want to give. It's in my heart to give, just not seeing it not seeing it in my budget, how I can do it. That's a good starting place for prayer. God, open my eyes, show me what I need to do to make this possible for me and my family because I want to honor what is clearly your word. Amen. Uh, Stand up. Thanks for listening. 
We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.